First Timothy chapter six. We're going to pick up at verse eleven. Uh, so it's interesting. I mean, the context of this letter uh, and the context of this particular passage. It's the closing remarks on a letter. Are you a person that has trouble getting off the phone, saying goodbye? Uh, at <laughs> when people visit, you know, sometimes I do. I'm on the phone. I just want to say, okay, okay bye, bye. See, see you later. Are we going to say see you later? We're going to say goodbye. We're going to say love you. You too. What are we going to do? We're going to do the Brenda Sheffield bye. Has she ever bye'd you? That I mean, it's just that's it. You're done. You're hanging up, right? Uh, it, or or I remember specifically. I may have told this story before, but I'm leaving town for a week and my kids are little i think george probably 10 luke is eight and is six five and a half and they're all lined up right there's tammy there's jordan luke and anna all lined up okay and i'm i'm looking to jordan i'm like son you're the man while i'm gone right i know none of us have ever heard that before you're the man while i'm gone make the house a peaceful place with whatever i've entrusted you to you're the one you can fix this you can do this you're 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 the one don't fight with your younger brother you're the man this is important for you to remember. Look to Luke. I probably have told you this, but it's worth repeating. Luke, you can only break two things while I'm gone. That's it. That's all, just two things. That's it. Only two things. After I walk out of the house, he breaks the screen door before I drive off. And Jordan yells out, Daddy's only got one more. Anna, you're my princess. Do whatever you want. No, that's not true either. Tammy, Will you please sleep while I'm gone? I know you'll paint the house. I know you'll start a quilt. I know the roofing will be done. But at least try to get some sleep. I think as Paul is closing this, we've seen it last week and this week, he has five different charges to the groups of people represented in his church. To the widows, to the orphans, to the slaves, to the wealthy, to the poor that are content, to the poor that are discontent. And, and so we looked at... Uh, two of those last week, and we're going to look at these last three charges. But what I love is the end. And, and so in, in most of our letters, whatever happens at the end, whatever happens at the end of the movie, whatever happens at the end of the story is so important, and it's what sticks in your mind. And at the end of this letter, he says, Grace be with you. Now, English has some failures in its language, and it's interesting how culture will start to create words. So now, if you put y'all, you can actually, most spell checkers will actually check it, and they'll, they'll do it right. Y'all, it's the English word for you, plural. All y'all, right? But it's plural here. Grace be with y'all. So all of the people that he's addressed, grace be with you. Paul is summarizing this whole letter, the leadership of Timothy, the leadership of the elders, the deacons, the way they deal with the poor, the way they deal with widows, the way they deal with orphans, the way they deal with false teachers. He's summarizing it all up in the very end of this letter with grace be with you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll start in verse 11. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, 
Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves, as is a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it some have swerved from the faith Grace be with you. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. So there's a lot in there. There's questions of life. Life doesn't consist of what you own. Take hold of that which is truly life. Hold on to eternal life. There is all throughout this text this thought of each, each section what you're to run away from, what you are to flee. And it's true that God does that all the time. Christianity is not just a religion of don'ts. It is a religion of do's. Whenever he says, don't pursue this, he's not saying just go sit in your room and look at a blank wall. No, don't pursue this because there's something greater to pursue. Don't pursue this because this is going to leave you and cost you more than you ever imagined. Uh, and, and it's going to fail you. Don't pursue this. Pursue this. And so we're going to look at these three sections and these three charges. The first is to the people of God, and it starts with this phrase, but as for you, man of God, flee these things. So it's connected to the previous text where he's talking about false teachers and what Timothy, what were the false teachers doing? They wanted they created controversy. They wanted people to join them. They were eager for money and gain and authority and position. Not you, Timothy. But you, Timothy, you're going to be different. You're going to pursue something different. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes our pursuits. It doesn't take pursuit or achievement or drive away from us. It changes it from things that will hurt you. I told you this, when we buried my brother... His, his pursuit of basketball was amazing. He was super strong, super big. And um, some of the videos that came out, I, I, just, I mean, I forgot at times. It was this pursuit that destroyed his body over time. Destroyed his marriage over time. And he struggled. So much so that in the ends of his life, he looked and said, I would do anything to have changed all of that that I had 
to have a life like you and Tammy. Sure, it was really cool for 20 years or so. Um, the gospel changes our pursuits. Last week we talked about the thing behind the thing. And that's why money, even when he talks about riches here, he's not just saying, oh, if you have money, give it all away because rich people are evil. He doesn't say that. It's like, what is behind the pursuit? What is behind the accumulation? What is behind the business? What is behind, what is behind that pursuit? And the gospel changes it. Instead of running after material things, money, popularity, the approval of others, we are to pursue what he says here. So that's that hinge in verse 11. Oh, man of God, flee these things, but pursue these things. I often tell a couple, if I'm doing premarital counseling, your pursuits, your joint pursuits, will guarantee whether the marriage works or it doesn't work. Who are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? What is the path that you are on and where are you going? Join together and take this pursuit. So Paul then appeals to Timothy. And I love it because it's going to be hard. Paul's not saying, if you do all these things right, Timothy, Pastor Appreciation Month will be every month. No, it's going to be hard, Timothy. Elsewhere in Acts... Uh, sorry, in Corinthians, he, he talks about these doors of opportunity that are open. And every time he says a door of opportunity is open and there are many adversaries. And as we move into a new city, as we take the church into a new place, there are many adversaries. It's going to be difficult. And so the appeal to pursue what is righteous, uh, he lists those in couplets, right? Righteousness and goodness, uh, righteousness and godliness go together rightness, righteousness, what is right, what is good, faith and love, pursue these things, steadfastness and gentleness, right? Those, they go together. What we believe creates love. If we are righteous, we are godly. If we are steadfast, we become gentle. Run away from evil and run towards these things. And here's what has to happen. Here's what has to happen to a believer. Our prayers must be this way. God, help me to see evil as evil. Evil doesn't present itself as evil. Evil presents itself as an alternative good that is easier than God's good. An alternative pleasure that might be forgiven, but it'll be okay. Evil presents itself all the time to us as good. So when he says here, uh, keep the commandment unstained, the sermon in the sentence is, because divine grace is so foreign to us, we must guard it from depletion, corruption, pollution. Here he's saying unstained. Uh, evil likes to take what is good. Evil can only exist because what God has made is good. And it takes what is good and it twists it. Should, did, did I mean that my brother should not have played pro basketball or played on the Olympic team for Australia? Of course not. That's not what I'm saying. But in his own mind, when it became the ultimate thing, when it became this is what everybody praises me for, this is what makes me significant in the world, and it cost him more than he had intended. We, it, every area of human flourishing can do that. Business, relationships. I do these premarital counseling. I've got three weddings this summer. And each of them, I look at that couple. I'm like, this is not your savior. This is not the ultimate end. This isn't the goal of your life. You have not finally arrived, and now you'll be having fun. Uh, this is part of a pursuit. He will let you down. She will let you down. 
we flee those things and we run towards righteousness, godliness, faith, and love. So we pray, Lord, help me to see evil. Help me to be aware of it. Um, because if we see evil as evil, we flee from it. Right? I mean, y'all are Oklahomans. What do you do when you see a snake in Oklahoma? You, you run away from it. You know, Mississippi, we wonder if we can eat it. All right, but, but we, we see something and it's obvious. I want to get away from this. We pray as believers, Holy Spirit, will you help me see evil as evil? Will you help me hate what you hate? And then it will be natural for me to run away from it. All right, and, and so um, when we see it for what it is, it makes sense for us to leave it. But the opposite is also true. When we see goodness, as it is we want to pursue it and I'll make this promise to you the pursuit of God will bring you peace the deeper your theology runs to the sovereignty of God that he has listed here he is the only one that is sovereign he is the king of kings he is the lord of lords the deeper you pursue knowing him, not just intellectually, but saying, this is who you are. How do I respond knowing this is who you are? We'll talk about that later in the text. But that, that is the pursuit. That is the knowledge that all of a sudden, goodness. I, I, I was more happy about Isaac joining the church today than whatever race he wins. <laughs> we, you know, we, we celebrate something eternal. But I also think we celebrate him running a race, enjoying life, being able to accept the defeat because it's not his life. It's not the only thing. So uh, the first is an ethical appeal. Uh, righteousness, goodness, faith, and love. Um, ethically, we, free, we flee evil and we pursue godliness. Um, and, and we, we, we do that for people we love, right? As a parent, as a friend, as a pastor, as a mentor, when we see those who we care about being tempted towards behavior or belief that will result in the pain and the loss, maybe estrangement, we set out to tell them, this looks okay right now, but here's where it goes. I've seen a lot of people fall into this, and this is where it goes. And I know you think, not me, and every one of those people said, not me. I won't do it. I'll go this far, but not that far. We see it and we tell them, right? Secondly, there is a doctrinal appeal. Verse 12a, he says, uh, Timothy, you have to fight the good fight. And so all throughout this letter, we've talked about that there was this uh, creed that, that stands behind the letter of this is the faith. And he uses those terms, the faith, the words, the teaching, the way the truth as one writer put it timothy the truth is precious even sacred being that it is truth from god we can't neglect it without affronting him it is also essential for the health and the growth of the church so whenever truth is imperiled by false teachers to defend it is a painful necessity it is a painful necessity it is hard and you get labeled so it's an interesting thing where he says, keep the faith in gentleness. He says, fight the good fight. Both of those things, not exclusive to each other. Even the gentleness, the writer goes on to say, we are to pursue 
is not incompatible with fighting the good fight of faith. There's an doctrinal appeal. Timothy, you've got to hold on to the doctrine, so stay and fight the good fight. There's an experiential appeal in verse 12b where he says, uh, take hold of eternal life. Take hold of it. You know, it's possible to possess something without taking hold of it. I, it, it was, we, we, we had to join Patricia Island. I was part of the Homeowners Association. We had to join it for a social membership. I call over there and I'm like, hey, um, how much does it cost to use the pool? Like, oh, it's included. I'm like, sweet. How about the pickleball courts? That's included. Nice. I possessed it. It was mine by right. And I hadn't taken hold of it. Timothy, take hold of the eternal life. And again, we tend to think of eternal life as just longevity. But it's also a life. It is a wonderful life. He's saying take hold of it now. Live in light of the eternal glory that you will possess with the Father, with the believers in glory. And we said this before, that the very, very best day that you will experience on planet Earth would be the very, very worst day that you'd experience with the Father. Take hold of it. Experience it. Eternal is great, but it would be horrible if life was horrible for eternity, wouldn't it? We've known people to take their lives because life is so horrible. He's saying the quality of the life, Timothy, take hold of it. Uh, the grounds of the appeal, we'll rush through these. There's uh, these incentives for Timothy uh, and for the people of God. The first, he says, is you're living in sight of God. Timothy, Right now, your life is in full view of God. God sees everything, even the things we don't see about ourselves. Timothy, be reminded, God is seeing everything. You are now living in sight, in front, in God's view. Right? We know what that means. Hey, Mark, the kids are watching. Okay, sorry, Tammy. Hey, kids, the elf is watching. Santa's watching. The boss is watching. Dad's watching. Oh, Timothy. Oh, church. Everything is happening in the view of God. And he is the God who gives life to all things. The psalm this morning talked about God giving life to all things. So um, <clears throat> one of the incentives to live the godly life is we are in his sight. The second is, it says, in light of his second coming, verse 14. It says, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, his timing will be perfect and complete. There are four things that he lists about God, and this is what leads him into doxology. This is what leads him into uh, praising God forever and ever, honor, eternal dominion, amen. This is what leads him. He, he has these thoughts. He says uh, he is invincible. Our God will never be defeated. He is not defeated. He's never faced defeat. He is not defeated. Verse 15, he is the only one that is sovereign. Boy, that's beautiful. Whatever pain you face, God is sovereign. He doesn't miss anything. He doesn't slumber and sleep and something happens. I love that we have Job where Satan approaches and says, I want to do this. To your servant. God's sovereign over him. You have placed a, you've placed a line that I can't cross over. Uh, he's immortal. Verse 16. These are all I words. 
That's good theology, isn't it? We have the word of God that's infallible, inerrant, and inspired. We have God who is invincible. He is immortal, verse 16. He will not die. He is inaccessible. This unapproachable light, also the psalm talks about that. He lives in this unapproachable light. And he's invisible. No one has seen him. We have seen the son, and we have seen the, 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 the son taking the flesh of human humanity on it. But uh, when we sang this morning about being cleft in the rock, there was this unapproachable light that Moses, I want to see you. God's like, you're not yet ready to see me. This is the God who defines good. Right? This is the God who says it is worthwhile to pursue me. This is the God who has loved and saved us at the cost of his son's life. This is the God that calls us to life in a church community. So that's the first charge to the man of God. And we take it for ourselves to the people of God. The second charge, and we'll be really quick with this, but it's to the Christian rich. Okay, we talked about running away, running to. To the Christian rich, um, he's, they don't, like I said before, they're not charged to sell everything. They're not told that it's evil, that they're the cause of all the problems in the world. But they are told to run away from things. They are told, they are warned, uh, don't be haughty. Don't be haughty. Don't set your hopes on the security of their riches. I mean, you know this, but my daughter uh, oversees a whole bunch of students at an international boarding school. They have Russian students, they have Ukrainian students. Russian students, money's cut off. All of a sudden, these super, uber wealthy Russian students in her school. One of them, she said, they were to ask him, what's your greatest fear? I'll be poor. It was in another school, she did the same thing in, in California. They had a dress code. One of the kids said, how will anybody know how rich we are? <laughs> I mean, kids do that, right? They tell you things that you try to hide as adults. Well, we don't care what they think. Yeah, we do. We care what the stranger at the traffic light thinks of us because of what we're driving. How will they know? So he warns, oh, rich people. There should be rich people in your church. Be warned. Don't be haughty. Don't set your security on it. Don't store it up just for the sake of having it. It's in that sense. Rich people run away from the temptations of wealth. And then there's positive instructions. Verse 18 and 19. Don't be lazy. Some of us think about, like, once we get a nest egg, man, we won't have to do anything. Don't be lazy. He said, don't be lazy. Make sure you do good works. If you've been given funds, make sure you do good works. Make sure you are generous. Make sure you share. He says, think about this, not storing up treasures in the barns. Jesus talked about, but store up the treasures in heaven. Basically, he's saying, hey, rich folks, act like God. Be godly. Be generous. Be gracious. Be known as one who gives what we don't deserve. Be wise and discerning with your gifts. But remember, you're a steward of all that God's entrusted to you. As he has given it to you, he can take it away in a moment. The last section here, verses 20 and 21, is his charge, very personal to Timothy. Timothy, guard the deposit. And again, it's a runaway. Timothy, run away from uh, the, the, the babble irreverent babble, contradictions, the things that are falsely called knowledge. Timothy, run away from those things and run to grace. 
Grace be with you. Grace be with y'all. If this was the last sermon I was to ever preach at Three Rivers, I would really long for those to be the last words you remember. And I had my father's funeral this year also, and someone found a recording of him giving the benediction. Some of you might have watched it. And, uh, and it was wonderful. It was as if he was speaking from the dead, and he gave this benediction. And that's what the apostle is doing here to Timothy. He broke out in doxology. He is the one, immortal, unapproachable light. No one has seen him. And to him be honor, glory, King of kings, Lord of lords. He's going on and on. And then he says, what does this mean? What do you run to? Grace be with you. We run to the grace of God. It is not just for the day we're saved. It's for life. We run to the grace. Timothy, my dear son, oh, Timothy, run to the grace. Now, in conclusion, I put there on the notes, how shall we live? How shall we then live? That text uh, is a... Um, Francis Schaeffer wrote a, a book on how should we then live. If you've never read Francis Schaeffer, maybe not the first one to start with, but it's, it's really wonderful. Um, it comes from Ezekiel 33.10, when the people are complaining to the Lord, our sins have weighed us down. The punishment, the discipline of God has weighed us down. How shall we then live? In Greek, it's one word. It occurs 88 times in the New Testament. Parapeteo. It means to walk, to make one's way, to regulate one's life. How do we conduct oneself? Uh, it's an important concept. Again, those who think maybe the scriptures are just how to be good and how to avoid bad. It's how do we live our life? How is our life? How do we walk? I was playing golf with Jake the other day and he was using some Oklahoma-isms. And he used one. He said, you can use that in a sentence. Or you can use that in a sermon. Towards. Towards. You guys know what it means when you say go towards that? Towards? It's not towards, it's just towards. Towards. Rev, at least you hit your ball towards the hole. Kind of what it was. It means direction. The people of God, we go towards grace. We expect it. We give it to one another. We know we live in it. We know that every time the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin or a kind brother or sister has the audacity to kind of maybe confront us, that it's because we're going towards the grace of God. We're going to revel in it. We're going to celebrate it. We're going to live with it for eternity. We will never tire of it. It will blow our minds when we first experience it, and it will continue to grow when we are in glory. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Guard the teaching. Do not swerve. Do not let anything pollute it. How do we pollute it? We make sin less than sin. How do we pollute it? We make grace less than grace. We make it something we've earned, something we've worked towards. Timothy, guard it. And I just want to leave that with you. I want you to think about that over the summer. Think about parapeteo. What is the path? Where do I expect this to take me? In a year from now, two years from now, Am I on a path that is going to make me more in love with Christ? More amazed at His grace? If I'm gone for a year and people see me, will they notice any kind of difference in what bothers me? 
what I get excited about. How shall you then live? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your faithful word, the servants that have gone before us. And Lord, we pray that we would be a people that are moving towards you, not just content with a peaceful life, knowing that to stop really does mean that we are running towards some evil. We're running towards maybe self-centeredness. We're running towards a self-sufficiency, a reliance upon what we've done and what we've accomplished and what we have stored up. Make us a people ever presently uh, celebrating and moving, believing, trusting, and sharing your grace. May we taste it in these next few moments. Whatever idol would be put out there saying, follow me, trust in me. Nothing compares to your son. Some take this for the first time. Some of us might take it for the hundredth time. We rest on this fact that Christ is sufficient. It is what he has won that will cover us for eternity. Those who feel guilt would know, Father, the power of the blood of Christ. It washes and it cleanses deeper than we've ever known. May we hold ourselves to it. We ask all this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.